All right, Habakkuk, if you would turn there in your Bibles. I hope that uh, those of you that are regulars, you know that you've been reading through the book, The Prophecy of Habakkuk. It's such a short little uh, prophecy in the Bible. You could read through it easily a number of times per week. And if you've done so, then you're going to glean, I think, a lot more. I've said many times that what we put into it, we get out of it. That's true of all of God's word. I was thinking between services how I remember before I was saved, before I was born again, I would go to church. You know, we, our family went to church all the time, uh, raised Roman Catholic, and so my sister and I were in parochial school. And so we had to go to church. I say had to. We did have to go to church uh, six days a week, Monday through Friday. Saturday was off, and then Sunday mornings. And um, this is back, you know, in the 60s. And so uh, for all the old ex-Catholics or whatever, you know that the Mass was in Latin. The sermon wasn't in Latin, but everything else was in Latin. And so, uh, you know... As a kid, you would just zone out, or at least I would zone out. And, um, and I thought, you know, that will change once I become an adult. Well, it never changed once I became an adult. I still would sit there and zone out. And, and I remember when Tracy and I were first married, the first year of marriage, because I think it set in my wife married a non-believer and I think was regretting it because we were on two different pages. And so Tracy would uh, plead with me every Sunday, you know, can we go to church? And so we would kind of, you know, pick a church, you know, and we would go. And and it was pretty much the same thing, you know. It was just kind of like the old uh, Charlie Brown cartoons, you know, whenever an adult was speaking. It was just kind of like that in my head. It wasn't until I was born again And I'll tell you, the day I was born again, it sounds like an exaggeration, but the Lord knows it's true. On the day that I was born again, he gave me a desire for his word, uh, a word that I had never read before. The only time I ever opened up a Bible was to look at the book of Revelation to try to figure out where Charlie Manson was coming from, because he would quote different portions of the book of Revelation. And uh, But when I was born again, when the Spirit of God came and took up residence within me, there was this obvious presence that was, it was so apparent. I mean, there was a desire for things that I did not have a desire for, and that was the Word of God. There was this ability to comprehend uh, the Word of God when I heard it, and uh, when I read it, began reading it on my own, and I'm so thankful that for me personally, the Word of God is not a discipline. I enjoy it. I love it. I, I um, you know, I think uh, many of us, we have uh, different disciplines. Maybe you exercise in the morning. I bet you don't ever let that thing slide. You probably get up. You're probably very religious about your, your exercise or your routine, whatever it might be. How about just having your morning coffee? How many people let that slide? Say, I think I'm going to let that slide today. You, I mean, that's probably the first thing you're, you're going for is that, that pot, you know. 
Not that pot, but you know, that pot. <laughs> but anyway, I hope you're not going for the other pot. But, but anyway, but you know, when it comes to the Word of God, sometimes it becomes such a discipline and such a drag. And I think it's a drag when we're not receiving. I mean, if I was reading and not receiving, I wouldn't want to read. I really wouldn't. And so I guess what I'm trying to say in my long introduction to nothing, because it's not really even an introduction to my study, is this, is if you are reading and you're not receiving, maybe the problem lies in the fact that you have not been born again. You have not been born of the Spirit. It's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to be, you know, someone who goes to church. You must be born again. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said that to a religious leader, as you know. You must be born again. And uh, we need to realize that that has not changed. You know, Jesus didn't say to Nicodemus, you must be born again, but after you, religion is, is okay. No, you must be born again. And if you're born again, it doesn't matter where you're reading in the scriptures, you are going to be able to glean from it. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to glean even now. Remember Habakkuk. He's burdened. He's a prophet of God. This is obviously before the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem. It took three different times where they came against Jerusalem. He was surely a contemporary of Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other prophets that we know. And he's concerned. He's concerned because Judah, the children of God, Israel, you know, you have Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and Judah, the people of Judah, had, had really given themselves to idolatry and to violence and to drunkenness and to debauchery and to coveting and, and there's so many things. I mean, they were looking like, acting like the non-believers, the pagan nations around them. And, and Habakkuk was very troubled by these things. And so he cried out to the Lord. We saw his first question, you know, how long shall I cry and you will not answer, even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. And then the Lord immediately answered and said, in essence, Habakkuk, I want you to know that I've got this covered. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Which led, of course, Habakkuk, the prophet, to ask another question, you know, and the question was really, in essence, uh, Lord, why would you use them? You, you haven't appointed us to judgment. I mean, that kind of judgment. You haven't appointed us to uh, correction, at least that kind of correction. You've appointed it to them, Lord. I mean, we're, we're not going to die, are we? And, and uh, this was hard for him to take. And so the Lord responded. And as we saw last week, his response, chapter 2, verse 2 The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And here's the word from the Lord. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now, that first part of verse 4, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. I read that, and to me, the context, to me, 
I see the Lord saying to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I know you're troubled. I know you don't understand. I, I know that you're really baffled about this whole thing and what my plan is, how I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. But I also want you to know, Habakkuk, I know that the proud, his soul is not upright in him. I know that the proud, the Babylonians, his soul is not upright in him. Habakkuk, I want you to understand, I know that the proud, Nebuchadnezzar, to be very specifically, is not upright in him. But you, Habakkuk, and the faithful remnant of Judah... Guys, there were always a faithful remnant. There will always be a faithful remnant. I don't care how big or how small a church is. It's usually a smaller remnant who are truly abiding in the word and seeking to be filled with the spirit and desiring the things of the Lord and everything. It's always a smaller, smaller remnant. I wish it was the whole. I wish you could say, oh, this whole church is sold out for the Lord. But it's always a remnant. And it was always a remnant with Israel. It's not the whole nation that's gone astray. It's not that the whole nation is serving other gods. It's not the whole nation is being violent toward their neighbors. But surely the majority was. I think that the Lord wanted Habakkuk to know, Habakkuk to know that he knew who he was dealing with when he was dealing with the Babylonians. And more specifically, that he knew who he was dealing with when he was dealing with Nebuchadnezzar. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him. Now, guys, if you're looking for some application, here's the first bit of application, because we all have a pride problem. Every human being has a pride problem. And pride is one of those sins that many times we don't even see in ourselves. Other people might see it, or they might hear it from the things that come from our mouth. But we rarely see it. We rarely recognize it. Sometimes, of course, if we're walking with the Lord, the Lord will gently speak to us and say, you know, that was a prideful statement that you made. And he corrects his children, and and we're open to that correction. But pride. Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this, quote, Hunt among the highest and loftiest in the world, and you shall find it, that is pride. And then go and search among the poorest and the most uh, despondent, um, and you shall find it there. There There may be as much pride inside a beggar's rags as in a prince's robe. There may be as much pride inside a harlot's heart as in the heart of a model of morality. And then Spurgeon asked the question, is there any man in whose heart pride does not lurk? And we know the answer, no. Going back to Nebuchadnezzar, because guys, that's the, you know, that's the time frame that we're looking at. It was Nebuchadnezzar who came and sacked the city of Jerusalem. It was Nebuchadnezzar who took the captives back to Babylon. Guys, by the way, do you remember from the prophets Jeremiah, Isaiah, Habakkuk, others? It's the ones who went into captivity that were going to be saved. Not those who resisted. Not those who fought. In fact, the Lord made it clear, you want to fight, you die. (laughs) Because this is my judgment. 
So in essence, you're fighting against me. We need to think of that because I think we're so quick to take up arms and so slow to (laughs) shut our eyes and (laughs) bow our heads in prayer. But Nebuchadnezzar, he was a prideful man. Surely he was a prideful man. We see this in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, he has a dream. He sees this dream of his kingdom, the Babylonians, and then the kingdoms that would follow. The Babylonian kingdom would be overcome by the Medo-Persian kingdom. The Medo-Persian kingdom would be overtaken by the Grecian kingdom. The Grecian kingdom would be taken over by the two legs of the Roman Empire. And then we're yet waiting for that final kingdom, those ten toes, that will happen in our day, I believe. But he sees this dream. He has this dream. It troubles him. He knows that this isn't because he had pizza the night before, you know, this is significant. And so he calls together all of his uh, men in the know. And he says, I had a dream. And they said, tell us the dream. We'll give you the interpretation. He says, no, I'm not going to tell you the dream. I want you to tell me what I dreamt, and I want you to give me the interpretation. And they responded in the right way. They said, you know, no one could do that. You're asking too much. There's no way anyone could do that. And then he says, okay, well, you all die. <laughs> That's it. This is the, he's the king. He says what he wants to say. He does what he wants to do. You're dying today. And so Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did they do? They didn't take arms and say, well, when they come, we'll fight them off as long as we can. No, they dropped to their knees and they began to pray. And the Lord gave Daniel the dream and its interpretation. You guys know the story. And so Daniel goes before the king. He tells him the dream. He gives him the interpretation. And how does Nebuchadnezzar respond? Does he humble himself? Does he call out to the Lord and say, Oh, Lord, thank you. You're the one who raised me to this high and lofty position, you know, for a time. And, and, and you're worthy. of No, 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 no. He wrecks his 666 image and makes everyone great and small to bow down at the sound of the trumpet and all these other you know instruments bow down and worship the image and the image was all of gold what was he saying he was saying my kingdom shall never end i don't care what god says he says i'm the head of gold i say i'm the body of gold it's never going to end you get to daniel chapter 4 And we see Nebuchadnezzar, we see his pride. He's walking through his garden. He says, is this not, is this, uh, is not this great Babylon that I built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? I mean, this guy's just totally full of himself. And then we're given the commentary from Daniel, why the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times seven years shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses." Remember what the account says? That he was cast out. He went out of his mind. His fingernails grew like claws. The hair on his head grew like eagle's wings. 
He was a madman. Seven years, he's eating grass like an oxen. He needed to be humbled. Well, you know, we're exhorted about pride as well. In the New Testament, in James chapter 4, verse 6, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, we read the same verse. It's, it's verbatim in both places. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the Lord gives us this information, guys. Listen, he gives us information for our own good. So we ask ourselves, I mean, the smart person would stop and say, well, do I want grace or do I want God's resistance? I mean, honestly, this is what God has created us to reason with our minds. Are we? Pride. Pride. Pride is such a problem because pride looks to self. Pride exalts self. Pride praises its own glory, its own worthiness. Pride is constantly saying, that doesn't apply to you. He's not talking to you. This doesn't... See, that's what pride does. Pride. I think it's interesting. You know, you look at the, <laughs> the world and, and it's like everyone's kind of on their own path, you know, and we think it's a legitimate thing. We think it's a legitimate thing. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But today, in our culture, we think that Oh, that's so honorable. We hope you find your Jesus, whatever that means. Isn't it funny, the silly stuff that comes out of people's mouth, and especially those of us who profess to be Christians. There's not many paths. There's one path. And Jesus says it's a narrow path, and it's a gate that's narrow. It's hard to get in, and there's few that go that way. That's what Jesus said. We should consider these things. But, you know, there are some, they say, well, th- this is my path. I, I, I want to live by works. I believe that my good works will give me a right standing with God. I'm a good man. And so I'll tell you what, listen, it doesn't matter how bad you are, you could find someone that's worse than you. And if you want to measure yourself by that person, you'll look good in your own eyes. But, of course, none of us are being measured, are being uh, weighed in the balance of what other people do or who other people are, but by the righteous standard of God. The Bible says no one is good, no, not one. No one. Some choose to live by feelings. This is a problem we have in the church, you know. I just, I, I feel the presence of the Lord, and I feel that, that God wants me, and I feel, and I feel, and I feel. Tracy and I were watching, we, we like to um, watch these, like, home improvement or anything that has to do with building. I like that. I like to watch things that are, and it was this young couple, and, and they're restoring this old farmhouse, and um, there were only three episodes, and we watched all three of them. And, and, um, but I'll tell you, I was, I was wanting to scream toward, I, toward the end of the third episode because I was so tired of both of them saying, I just feel, I feel, I feel. It was just so weird to me. It was like, man, make your decision, do the job. And it's, it has nothing to do with about feeling, but it was all about feeling. I just feel comfortable here, and I feel this, and I feel that. And as I'm listening to that, I was thinking, 
There are many who want to live by feelings, many in the church who want to live by feelings. I just didn't feel the Lord at that church. Why not? I don't know. I just, I just don't know that I, I, I like the things that were coming. I don't like those words. And here's the thing. If you are not a man or woman or young person of the word of God next week, I can't wait to teach next week's study. I mean, all of this has been building up for next week's study, for me personally. But I'm telling you, I know, and Bible teachers know, that for people who do not know the word of God, who do not seek the Lord of the word, that our voices are, I know it. I know it. It ought not be that way. Some end up living by circumstances. You know, I'm just, I, I'm just kind of pushed over here and then pushed over here. And, but the Lord says, the Lord says, I've called you to live by faith. Not just faith. Don't just believe. I mean, isn't that so abstract? Believe. No. Believe in Christ. Faith in Christ. Now, if you didn't read ahead, you're probably going to miss out because I'm not going to take the time because I didn't have enough time at the first service. But as you continue on in the text, in fact, at the beginning of verse 5, the little subtitle, you don't have it in your Bible probably, it probably says something else, but it says, Woe to the wicked. And then from there on, as we go down to the end of the chapter, we have five woes that are pronounced upon the Babylonians. Now, on one hand, you can say, well, how do we know it's, it's, it's directed to the Babylonians? Because Judah, they were sinners, and they were doing things they ought not to have done. And I'm telling you, there's no doubt that as they were hearing, as they would hear this prophecy being spoken, that they would stop dead in their tracks and say, if this applies to them, this applies to to us. See, again, that's what the wise person does. The wise person doesn't say, I hold this out here. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I live. I believe in Jesus. Everything's okay. No, 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 no. The person who is truly open to the word of God and the spirit of God speaking to them individually is open to reproof and correction. In verse 5, it says, indeed, because he transgresses by wine. He is a proud man. He does not see, note the pronoun, he. I, I don't doubt that he's speaking of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. In, in, in verse 6, we have the first uh, woe. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him, saying, woe to him who increases what is not his? We just saw it earlier on, how they... <laughs> They possess dwelling places that are not theirs in chapter 1. The Lord says, Habakkuk, I know you're troubled by what I'm doing, but I want you to understand I know what I'm doing. Don't think for a moment that I think that, you know, the Babylonians are okay. They're not okay. They're, they're, they're prideful. And their leader is prideful. And his soul is not upright in him, and I know that. But I want you to learn from this. 
The first woe, woe to those who plunder, because you'll be plundered. You know, it's that, that principle, as a man sows, that he will also reap. It's going to come back on you. Listen, this is not karma. Don't use Eastern, <laughs> don't use language, Christian, please, don't use language that's not biblical. It's not karma. That's Hinduism. That's silliness. That should not come out of a Christian's mouth. It's not karma. It is the principle of sowing and reaping. And so the first woe is woe to those who plunder. Woe to him who increases what is not his. In essence, the Lord is saying to Habakkuk and to the faithful remnant of Judah, listen, I know what they've done. I know that they've plundered many nations, and they too will be plundered. And they were by the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and Persians came in and plundered Babylon. I mean, plundered them to a degree that they just took over. Verse 9, woe to him who covets evil gain for his house. So this would be woe to the greedy. So first, woe to the plunder. Number two, woe to the greedy. The greedy. Look at verse 10. It says, you sin against your own soul. The greedy. The greedy, they're like death. They're never satisfied. They just want more and more and more. It's, I think of the rich young, uh, not the rich young ruler. I think of the parable of the rich fool. <laughs> the rich young ruler, I guess, could probably fall into this category as well. But the rich fool in Luke's gospel, remember, it says, uh, let me read a verse or two to you. It says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you, then whose will those things which you have provided, whose will those be? It's just more and more and more and more and more. In Habakkuk, the Lord says, listen, the stones of their house, the beams of their house are going to cry out against their greediness because they're not content. We're told to be content with such things as we have. It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to have ambition, that we can't have other things or get other things. But if that becomes, you know, the whole purpose of our life is to get more and more and more and more and more, then we're not really walking by faith. We're not living by faith because those who live by faith know that he will never leave us. Right? So where's our faith? Our faith is in the Lord. Guys, are you paying attention to what's happening in our world today. I hope that you are paying attention to what's happening in our world today. Every day there's something. Now, I'll throw this out, and some of you might say, oh, good, you know. But uh, there's a lot of people who depend upon Walmart. I know there was a pushback when Walmart was coming to Oak Harbor because didn't want to, you know, encroach upon the small businesses and Walmart. But a lot of people shop Walmart. You know why? Because it's cheaper at Walmart. Uh, I used to go to Costco to get all the paper goods for the church. I don't do that. I haven't done that for years. I go to Walmart to get it. I could get it there cheaper, and I could get the same amount, uh, and it's a lot less time. I don't like going into Walmart. I went into Walmart with uh, some of my grandkids 
the other day on Thursday, I think it was, I don't know, remember what day it was, and I thought I was going to have a panic attack. There were so many people in there, and I told my, my grandsons, I said, you know, this is why the only time I go in Walmart is like early in the morning when there's no one here. You know, just walk in, get what I need, and zip out. But I heard this morning that Walmart is going to be shutting down stores all across the country. Why? <coughs> Violence. Violence and theft. I mean, they, they say we can't keep up with it. The theft is, you know, the, the different counties and different states, and they're changing their laws, and, and those who want to, you know, take what's not theirs, they go in, they take it. What's going to happen to them? They're not going to serve any time for these thefts. You know, no one wants to deal with it. The police don't want to deal with it. Their hands are tied, and so... He says, it looks like the only remedy is to close down some of these stores. Some of these stores in the more violent areas where theft is more common. But I think those are probably the areas where the people probably need a Walmart more than a lot of areas. But see, this is what's happening. I saw just yesterday in... Home Depot, I didn't see it happen here, but a Home Depot store, someone was stealing something, over $1,000 worth of stuff, has one of those great big carts, hits a man, the man falls, hits his head, and dies of a head injury. Guy probably didn't even look back. It's violence. If we are consumed with getting more, we're going to be disappointed if our bank account gets closed down, you say, "Oh, don't say that." Listen, I am. Not, I don't want it to get. I don't want my bank account to get closed down. I don't want the church bank account to get closed down. But if it happened tomorrow, I would not be surprised, because I'm paying attention to what's happening in the world and in our country today, and this control that's happening. And the point is, why do I spend time even going through Habakkuk Sunday morning? Isn't that something that should be reserved for a Wednesday night where you have just the, you know, the remnant? Because, guys, the word of God, nothing changes. There is nothing new under the sun. There are things that we can glean. There are things we can see in the scriptures that are pertinent for our lives today. Judgment is coming. The third woe, verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed. So this third one would be woe to the violent. So the first one, woe to the plunder. Second one, woe to the greedy. Third one, woe to the violent. And then I want you to see something that is so important. Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters over the sea. Do you recognize that? This is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 9. I'm sorry, chapter 11 and verse 9. The only difference between Isaiah and Habakkuk is Habakkuk says it will be filled... And 
Isaiah says it will be full. But it's the same verse. Full of the knowledge of the Lord. You say, well, when is that going to happen? Was that also, so that was a word of encouragement for them because that's going to happen really soon and everything's going to get better. And no, 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 no. This is speaking of the millennial kingdom. Guys, listen. You know, you might say, you know, Tian, whenever you say things like our bank account closing down or violence or this, that, and the other, you know, those things trouble me. And I don't come to church to be troubled. I come to church to get peace. Well, I'll give you a list of churches you could go to in Oak Harbor. And I guarantee you, they won't teach the word and you'll never feel convicted. And you can go in and come out the same way you went in, you know, if you want that. There's many of them. But the fact of the matter is, is that we know what's coming because the Lord declared that it was coming before it came. We could see the signs of it. So I've said many times before, I sleep well at night. I don't stay up at night, you know, wringing my hands. And what if this happens? And what if we lose our house? And, and what if this? And what if that? My hope is in the Lord. I don't know what's going to happen. I know that there are a lot of Christians that I listen to, that I read, that are saying, Persecution is coming for the church. And I see it. I mean, we, 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 we're seeing laws that are being changed that will affect the church, affect the Christian, affect the pastor, teacher directly. Laws. So then we're going to be put into a place where now you are breaking the law by saying this, by speaking about that. You know, am I surprised? No, I'm not surprised because the word of God tells me that it's going to be this way before it happens. So that when it does happen, I can say, Lord, you told us that it would happen. And regardless of how bad it gets, I know this. I know that one day I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord through death or through the rapture of the church. I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. Once I'm in the presence of the Lord as a Christian, as one who's been born again, born by the Spirit of God, I will never, ever, ever not be in the presence of the Lord, according to the Scriptures. When the Lord comes back at his second coming, I will be with him. You will be with him. If you're born again, you've placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. When he comes back at the second coming, and those who dwell on the earth at that time will turn to fight with the king. Revelation, you guys know this, don't you? And he will conquer them with the breath of his mouth. And then he sets things right. And he sets up his kingdom for a thousand years. The Bible tells us that Satan will be chained up, locked up for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, he'll be released for a short time. During the thousand-year reign of Christ... How we've lived our life in Christ, it's not our good deeds, but how we've lived our life in Christ will determine what our role will be in the thousand-year reign of Christ. In the thousand-year reign of Christ, there will be those who have either been raptured or who have died in faith in Christ and are there 
serving the king in different ways. And there will also be those who are alive, who enter into the millennial kingdom, who never experienced death, who are alive. And they will marry, not us, but they will marry and they will have children and their children will live these long lives. And we'll see the fulfillment of Bible prophecy, where the wolf and the lamb will lie down together, where the lion will eat straw like a lamb, where an infant will put his hand in a viper's den and they will not harm him, where when a person dies at a hundred years of age, people will mourn because he died so young. We'll see the restoration of what we saw in the garden. This is what's promised to us. And then we have a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the old heaven and the old earth has passed away. We have the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven like a bride adorned. In the midst of this heavy, this heavy prophecy concerning Judah, concerning what they're going to have, there are always nuggets of hope. And for the Bible student, you see these. And they give you hope and you say, Lord, even in judgment, you remember mercy. That's your character. That's your nature. That's your name. You remember. Woe to the plunder. Woe to the greedy. Woe to the violent. Verse 15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor. The Lord rebukes both the drunk and those who promote drunkenness. And again, I think of Belshazzar. Do you remember Belshazzar? Belshazzar came after Nebuchadnezzar was removed, was gone. Belshazzar, what is he doing? He's drinking. He's partying up. And you know when you drink, you get stupid. And he thought, I think it would be a good idea. Let's get those things that we took from the temple of God. You know, those vessels. And let's drink out of those vessels. They weren't just drinking out of the vessels for the fun of it. As they drank out of the vessels, they said, Praise you, God of stone, God of wood, God of bronze, God of silver, God of gold. And then a hand appeared. It began to write on the wall. Remember, you've been weighed in the balance. Belshazzar. This night, when did it happen? That night, (laughs) boom, judgment. He, verse 19, woe to him who says to wood, awake. So the, the next one, the last one is woe to the idolater. Woe to the idolater. We look at this and we say, well, that's not us. We're not into idolatry. We don't do that type of thing. Listen, there are many idols in the church today. It troubles me. It bothers me so much. Nate touched on it. He, he spoke on it. And as he was speaking, you know, there's times I listen to Bible teachers. And there are times when, you know, as I'm listening, I'm listening to Nate. I, I kind of know because I've studied the text. I know where he's going. There's many times as Nate is teaching, I'm thinking to myself, I think I would have touched on this here 
and then Nate will touch on that there because it's the scripture, you know, so you, you just kind of know. And, but I always love it when the speaker goes off the text because God is going to say something here. And he began to speak about some things. And uh, some of these things that have been introduced to the church and the church is embracing these things and we wonder what in the world what's wrong with God's people Enograms Enogram Enogram I can't even say it I, you know but I, I've been following this Andy Stanley does it at his church and so many people so many Christians are using this now for leadership and this really brings us together do you know what listen can I tell you something from an old man I grew up in the 70s In the 70s, this was the line. I'm a Virgo. What are you? Horoscope. You never never mix a Virgo with whatever. Because they're incompatible. So you could just write that off altogether, you know. Uh, I'm sorry, I'd like to date you, but you happen to be a Leo. And I just know that it won't work. It's not in the stars, you see. And we laugh at it because it's ridiculous. And we should laugh at it. We should mock it. But we have the same thing in the church. No, 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 Dan. This is sanctified. No, 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 people. It's not sanctified. It's paganism. It comes from a Catholic priest who is so new age... He doesn't know which way's up. And they promote this stuff, and church after church after church after church grabs onto this. And here's the thing so, what's your number? We've got nine. What's your number? Oh, I'm sorry. You know, Nehemiah, we'd love to get together with you, but you're like a three. And we just, we're, there's just no way it's going to happen. You know, maybe there'll be some changes, but. I mean, this is foolishness. This is demonic. This is idolatry. And this is in the church. I want to scream because, you know, we as a church, we we support missions. We support missionaries. And in the last three years, we've had to stop our support of missionaries Because they've gone off. I mean, we are a church that says, we've got money. (laughs) We want to to invest money in missions. And we're hard-pressed to find missions. And something came to light on Wednesday night after Nate taught and... And, and Nate and I talked, and I said, you need to write a letter. And so we're contacting another mission that we support financially. We sh- we've supported them for a number of years, and we had to contact them and, in essence, give them an ultimatum. If you continue using this paganism, we're not going to support you. We'll look for another group to... Now listen to me, because you might be saying, you know, Dan, you just get so uptight. Here's the problem, guys. 
There's too many Christians that are saying, that doesn't matter. That's no big deal. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. And have you realized that nothing matters anymore to said Christians? It doesn't matter. It doesn't It should matter to us. Because people are perishing. I'll tell you, if I was a non-believer... And I was just kind of looking around and shopping for a church or something. And, I, and this church is into this, and this church is into that. And I, would, I think I'd be thinking, man, is, is anyone just teaching the word of God? I'd really like to hear the truth of the word of God. And I, I'm telling you guys, we need to take these things seriously. Having dealt with the greedy, the violent, the drunkard, <laughs> the idolater, the covetous, The Lord spoke. Verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. That's a rightful response. Shut up. Shut it. You know, Lord, I don't think this is a big deal. I think we could do this. I think we could practice this. I think we could practice these, these, these Hindu practices in the church. What's the big deal? I benefit so much from this. And we're not walking by faith. We're walking by something else. I get my relief. I get my pleasure. I get my joy. I'm getting it from this source or that source or this or that. All these things that are outside of the Bible. And it's no wonder that so few people have an appetite for the word of God. And when they sit down to read the word of God, it's like blah, 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 blah. They get nothing from it. And if you don't get anything from it, why would you ever want to read it? But the fact of the matter is that the prophet said that there would be a famine in the land. Not a famine of grain, but a famine of the word of God. We live in that day and age. There's a famine of the word of God. You know, guys... The proud, the greedy, the violent, the drunkard, the idolater. I can't help but think of 1 Corinthians 6.11. Nehemiah, come on up. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. The wonderful thing is this, is none of us have to stay in that category of the proud, the greedy, the violent, the drunkard, the idolater. We could place our faith in Christ. We could be born again. We could become new creatures in Christ Jesus. I'm not saying that we won't struggle with these things. We will struggle with them. But as long as we're struggling with them, not giving in to them. See, that's the difference. I said at the first service, and I'm going to say it here, that there is this strange, it's a demonic teaching. I don't know where people get it. But it's kind of this idea that because now that I'm in Christ Jesus, I can do whatever I want and it's all covered under the blood. Where do we get that? It's like when we read the scriptures, idolaters, uh, adulterers, thieves. You know, you read through the list, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Somehow, there's just a little switch that we switch off in our mind and say, yeah, that, that doesn't apply to me because I'm a Christian, you see, I'm a Christian. But are you practicing those things? If you're practicing those things, it doesn't matter what we call ourselves. 
Do you see what I'm saying? Here's the thing, guys. It's not that I could do whatever I want to do. It doesn't matter. It does matter. In fact, there's the danger of getting to a place where we're no longer convicted by our actions, by our words, by, the, by even our thoughts. That we just kind of say, well, I'm just human. This is just who I am. You know, hey, a guy's got his urges. You know, you got to have an outlet somewhere, you know. And rather than that, being convicted, knowing that you're grieving the spirit of God. Not the spirit out there, but the spirit in here, within us. And, and that we would be a people who say, Lord, I, I, I don't want to do this. And, and here's the wonderful thing, that when we mess up, his grace is the open door that says, repent, come to me, be restored. When we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We do not have a license to sin. I don't know where that came from, that we could just do whatever we want to do. Stop drinking. Stop smoking pot. Stop looking at porn. Stop cheating. Stop flirting. Stop. Stop coveting what's not yours. Stop. 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 Be sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit because the danger is is that we would move beyond that. And no longer does it matter. And it must matter. Jesus is coming back. We're the light. We're it. Sometimes you think, oh, Lord, you know, really? We're it? We're the light, you know? Yeah, you're the light. We're the salt. And we're, we're only going to shine as brightly, you know, in relationship to the light, to him, that we are. And so we need to, guys, we with them so that they might come to faith in Jesus name amen